You're listening to the final podcast in the series I did with author Kevin Toulis discussing his book, My Father's Wake, How the Irish Teach Us to Live, Love and Die. I do hope you'll be intrigued to know more and will listen here as Kevin introduces us to his aunt Tilda and his sister Teresa. You mentioned they were very pivotal in the whole wake. They were the one that laid your dad out. They they cleaned the body and did what women before them and their mothers and grandmothers before. Uh, and Tilda, I think, sort of taught the other generations. Or was it sure. just was it just that she was teaching your sister how to pass this midwifing, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's a really old um, human right, and it's an old communal, uh, obviously, in anywhere in the 1920s, even, you know, Canada, and you would have called upon, like, a kind of local woman in Mm -hmm. the community, who often was literally the midwife who brought you into the world, and was also the midwife who kind of brought you out of the world, Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously it's common in hospitals, one of the duties of some nurses used, or certainly used to be, that you'd kind of wash the dead. Yeah. That you'd learn how to wash wash the bodies of the dead. Yeah. Um, so it, it's often seen as their kind of female role. Um, my great grandmother on my uh, mother's side, Mariah, she uh, she had been exactly the same, a kind of midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was obviously before you had trained nurses, and but yes. you know clearly the the uh, collective knowledge of childbirth and the collective knowledge of of death caring and mm-hmm. washing of the body and the laying out. You know, these are eternal human skills that have existed, mm-hmm. have existed, and still exist in every human community. We you know we cannot not do without them. We've, yeah. we've never had not had them in some shape or form, whether yeah. we had an understanding of germ theory or not. Um, so it's these ancient um, rites and rituals, mm-hmm. which is really that's what the, the the wake itself is a kind of pagan rite. Mm-hmm. It pre-exists even the fall of Troy. It is probably the, one of the oldest rites of humanity, and certainly keening, where women keen and and wail that this this is the oldest music of humanity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Of course, we've always done these things. It's just that we've, through professionalization, through death denial, we've lost those skills ourselves. And that mm-hmm. now we feel, oh, my goodness, it's a dead body. We need to call somebody. You know, we need the authorities. The state must look after us because we can't look after our own mortality okay. ourselves. Okay. And obviously, it's a, an act of loving reverence. Mm-hmm. Wash your own dead. Mm-hmm. Um, to be with your own dead. Mm-hmm. To express public sorrow. Mm-hmm. A friend uh, comes from a very kind of stiff English family, and at her father's funeral, her mother kind of nudged her and said, You know, don't cry. Yeah. So, well, if you're not allowed to cry at your father's funeral, when? Um, when? You know, when? Can you cry? Yeah. So, the, the whole ritual, was that all part of helping you learn to grieve? Do you think? You see, embedded in the wake, it, if you were sort of thinking, well, how do I get humans to through this yeah. process? Yes. How do I kind of write the software? 
Well, you don't really give them a manual which they sort of look up. You just give them a series of sort of rights which they pass down, okay. some of which they're quite confused about. Yeah. Like people say, oh, why do we, why do we, um, why do we wake all night? And then you get this myth, oh, well, it's just in case the dead body wakes up. Mm-hmm. But having, and I know um, you having touched the bodies of the dead, I mean, <laughs> you, once you touch the body of a dead person, you just know they're never ever going to wake up. That's right. It's, it's not, so they're not going to reappear. Yeah. What we actually are doing is something much older, which is this idea that in the wake and in the presence of the dead body, that we are guarding that dead body, putting it through a whole series of rites so it can pass into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. It can return, we can restore natural order. Mm-hmm. That we're giving this person a, a decent, proper burial so that in a sense their spirit will not be unquiet and roam the earth and come back to haunt the living. Okay. And so when people wake, as they wake all night, through the night, what they're also doing, our ancestors believe that the dead could come back, that through this portal, mm. the gate of chaos, that, they, this, that the dead would actually come through and usurp the life of the living. Okay. So it's very, it's a kind of very common set of ancient pagan beliefs, but it, it still makes sense to us because, like in Canada, we still bring back the bodies of military warriors. Mm-hmm. The Canadian government doesn't bury the Canadian soldiers in Afghanistan. No. They take them home. And that's another important thing about taking people home and laying them to rest. Mm-hmm. And so that you, it's a very common grief reaction that you see your beloved, your dead, recently dead, in your dreams. Wanted to ask easy, you about that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's really easy to believe psychologically that somehow you're, or in, in previous generations, that they are literally the spirits of the dead who, mm-hmm. who are somehow telling you things. And mm-hmm. we see in Hamlet, mm-hmm. you know, the ghost of Hamlet yeah. comes back yeah. and he talks. It's an absolutely common grief reaction. Mm-hmm after the death of someone you love for the six months, it obviously can be your whole life. Mm-hmm. You can dream about them. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's easy to see why our ancestors thought, well, literally, this is a spirit come back from the, the you know, afterlife to haunt us. Okay. And that we must somehow quiet that spirit, allow it to have a proper burial, to restore order into the mm-hmm. natural world. Mm-hmm. Did the people who were closest to the person who had died, like your sister or yourself, did you have those dreams? Or because you had gone through the ritual, you were less likely to? You, you do have those dreams. It, and the, the wake doesn't sort of... It, okay. I think it softens and it humanizes and it collectivizes. Okay. And that you, you're, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the subtitle of the book, My Father's Wake, that we shan't live, love, or die alone. Yeah. That yeah, what happens without that sort of death community experience, you know, literally, if you've not prepared for it, there's an awful story in The Guardian of this woman. She flew to Canada with her husband for some, you know, so-called incredible treatment for his leukemia. He just died suddenly. And 12 hours later, she was alone on a plane, mm. you know, flying back to the UK mm-hmm. without any support mechanism whatsoever and that again is like the wake is about there's not much we can do when somebody dies yeah. you know you you cannot ma- get a magic wand write a bigger check take the car to garage mm-hmm. get another opinion what you can do is offer yourself as a mortal in support of the family of the bereaved 
yeah. there as a community. Yeah. Um, that's all you can do. Now, what you can also is you cannot do that. You can sort of put your hands over your ears, cross the other side of the road, pretend it's not happening, say it's nothing to do with you. But that's the saddest thing of all because mm-hmm. to be human is to be mortal. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all mortal. Yes. Where would you like to see your book go now? Up the best <laughs> You want to retire on the know. royalties, I know. <laughs> but book um, is—it's a. You know, you can't all go to Irish wakes, no. and we can't all go to the island and mm-hmm. live out, you know, these rites of this uh, ancient Celtic. But we can quite easily transplant the benefits of the wake. Mm-hmm. into our, our, our cities of glass and steel. Yeah. And that's by learning not to flinch. Mm-hmm. So that if you hear of a sick relative or a sick neighbor, you don't don't think, oh, they'll, they'll not want me to intrude. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just phone them up? You exactly. Know, phone them up, offer to go around, knock on the door, be present, go to the funeral. <laughs> offer to, if you're dying yourself, uh, ask for help. Yeah. Share your death. However, this might, it might sound quite difficult. Don't flinch away from it. Mm-hmm. We, we've got this notion that it should be sort of terribly private and it's sort of awkward and a bit disgusting and awful. Mm-hmm. It's truly being human because Absolutely. you know what? We're all, that's going to happen to us yeah. all. I mean, people have this notion, this sort of silly notion that, um, you know, we'll get to choose the death of our choice and it'll all be clean and lovely and we'll go to some awful, you know, lovely sort of modern building and you can just... Um, die and, and it'll all be just like you go, you'll have total control mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a big fan of assisted dying I, I, I'm opposed to it mm-hmm. because the reality when you're in the hospitals with the poor or in old people's homes I mean how do you decide who's, who's, who to assist in their dying and yeah. not it, life is pretty messy and it can be quite messy towards the end mm-hmm. and it's far more complicated mm-hmm. uh, than you people write about in newspaper columns mm-hmm. um, where they just advance one philosophical argument after another. But we will learn so much more by taking part in that process, by being with the dying, mm-hmm. offering ourselves to help with the dying, um, going to funerals, taking our children to funerals, yes. putting them, lifting them up and getting them to touch the bodies of the dead. Now, I know that might horrify some of your listeners, but that's what happened at my father's funeral. Yeah, it didn't do my nephew or any of the other children who were there any harm whatsoever. Absolutely, it teaches them the cycles of life, and they grow up not fearing it. One thing I'm curious is, it's wonderful. I love rituals. I love tradition, and it teaches you to be comfortable uh, and, and to learn how to talk and support. Where is the point where you are in your grief? Where is the support and how do you move through that? There isn't going to be a simple answer because obviously, as you know, grief affects people in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I still grieve for my father. Yeah. I, um, I grieve sometimes when I'm like with tools, you know, because you're so, you're so good with tools and I'm so yeah. bad with tools. But what you're, I go back to this thing, is if you're going to design a mechanism, a blind mechanism which is going to take place in 100 generations for how to cope with death, then a collective gathering 
and an openness and an honesty about death and a sort of also like an intergenerational training mm -hmm. so that the children go to one wake. Mm -hmm. They may be a long time away from death themselves, mm -hmm. but they will see um, what people... You know what people do around funerals and how they act, and not the fact that also they then go home, have beans on toast, and watch the TV, and get up in the next morning and go to school. Yeah. And it's all really normal. Yeah. It's not sort of like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. This event, regardless of how precious that person mm -hmm. is who's who's died. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a little bit about language. You know, more and more we hear it's sort of passing. Uh, you know, they've, they've passed which is just an awful way. People die. Yes. You know, trains pass on the tracks. Yeah, you know, people die. People die. Absolutely. Yeah. So you get that. And people say, oh, well, you're allowed to choose the kind of language. And obviously you are allowed to choose, but denying, choosing denial is not really going to help you in the end. To, to sort of get through. So what I'm hearing you saying is you have at these wakes permission to express your sadness, your tears, your anger, your fears. And because you're supported, you can share those with whoever's in the room. And, and I would imagine a lot of that goes on. So that's where I was going. They are getting some training as to how to cope with the shattering that you, would, you, you yourself said. Yeah, well, obviously, not everyone at the wake is... Um as intimately affected as the bereaved. Yeah. And I'm not denying that sometimes that, that can be, the weight can be, it, it can be difficult. It can be a bit of a further burden. Mm. And some people don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, we're, we're complicated individual creatures. But if you're thinking of what's best for all of us, mm -hmm. you know, how do we, how do I then train you? you if, let's say you, you say, I don't want to do any driving lessons. I just want to get in the car, drive <laughs> the car all by myself. <laughs> well, no, I'm not going to let you on the road. You've got to yeah. have some sort of driving lessons. Yeah. If you think of it like that, before you get to be like truly, truly moral, then we should all do a little bit of Irish wakes, you know, as a sort of bit of training. It's really <laughs> sort of simple. I know you might say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But if you did it like with a car, say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paying any attention to what yeah. you're saying. I'm just going to get in the car. I'm sorry, all by myself. It's a crash. Exactly. And that's what people do, isn't it? They crash into the grief how to do life after a loss, aren't they? So I guess your recommendation is people attend wakes, put their foot in the water, test them out, get more comfortable, talk to people, and practice as if you were running a marathon. Well, the question for you is, is, in a world where everyone dies, how many dead bodies have you actually seen? Yeah. How many have you touched? How many have you kissed? Yeah. How many funerals have you gone to? And if the number is less than five fingers on one hand, don't you think it's rather strange? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a sort of simple question, simple existential question. Yeah. So how many how many dead humans have you seen? And I don't talk about on the TV, but you know, absolutely there in front of you. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting question. It is. Which so and it reveals something. Uh, in a sense about your, what's it, death awareness. I think. Absolutely. Mm. Well, it's becoming increasingly difficult as more and more people are choosing cremation. So there never is the, the guest present at the funeral. People don't want, or if there is a, a proper funeral, 
the body just isn't an open casket anymore. It's a closed sure. one. So we're yeah. getting further and further away from it. I do hope the pendulum with books such as yours will start swinging the other way. Kevin, I'd like to thank you for being such a gracious guest on today's show and giving us insight into your book. I so appreciate your candidacy around this difficult topic of death, dying and grief. He's wishing you all the very best and will watch with interest as your book climbs the bestsellers list. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I do hope you will get more comfortable around death and attend a few Irish wakes as Kevin suggests. If you'd like to know more about how you can support somebody who is bereaved, then please let me know at Anne at reconnect-from-grief.com. Until next time, bye-bye for now.